So we started talking about Kabbalah yesterday. And now we're continuing. He's mentioning how Kabbalah is really, on some level, perhaps the, the best method of conveying some truths, right? He went through some of the other different angles that people have been taking to Torah learning over the generations. And the pendulum swung between the philosophical branch to the anti-philosophical branch to the dialectic branch. And there, everybody was kind of like not hitting the holistic worldview, or I should say holistic worldview, the holistic Torah view that Rav Hirsch would have wanted them to have, which is the practical observance, absolutely essential, but yet at the same time, developing the underlying reasoning and developing a theme and an understanding of why the Torah was given to us, why the mitzvahs were given to us, but specifically dependent on an internally based, in other words, from an, an analysis of the system itself, as opposed to an external analysis or a comparative religion analysis, right? So th that's what he felt is very important. And Kabbalah had the opportunity to do that. Doesn't necessarily end up working because people took it and conveyed and construed it, misconstrued it completely to be like some sort of a magic practical Kabbalah, which was never meant to be. It was meant to give over some of the spiritual capacity and the spiritual understanding. But speaking about a individual's perspective and an individual person's growth and something that is more internally based, but yet people took it to mean practical, like the examples that Kabbalah gives, which are meant to stand as a muscle, as a parable, as a metaphor, ended up being taken more literally and therefore completely clouding the point. Little by little, there came into the hands of the people a work originally intended only as a compendium for scholars, which presented the latest results of Talmudic scholarship, purely with a view to their practical applications. It was primarily an extract, differently arranged from the systematic work of the Rambam, and it highlighted the role of the Rambam as the great preserver of Torah observance in the times of overwhelming Golas oppression, of the exile oppression. Unfortunately, however, the people became familiar almost exclusively with only one part of this work, the one containing the categories of Eidos and Avoda, the laws of divine worship and the holidays. All other duties are dealt with in the other sections of this work, which in accordance with the overall purpose of the work were left for the scholars rather than the general public. And so gradually here and there arose the unfortunate opinion that Judaism is marked only by praying and keeping the holidays with no relevance to life. What is he referring to here? He is referring to the Shulchan Aruch. The Shulchan Aruch, which is a halachic compendium and is a vast, vast repository of knowledge of every bit of Jewish life, right? Jewish life is not consistent, however, of just Jewish life cycle moments, right? You know, so sometimes, and I think today in, in modern and American progressive worldview, so I do Jewish, right? And in fact, there's a fellow who I know, who I don't necessarily respect so much, who just wrote a book about doing Jewish 4.0, right? In which he kind of talks about how today in America, it's not about being Jewish. It's not about doing the mitzvahs. It's about doing Jewish, right? It's about the experience, right? So there's a, a very strong emphasis on the life cycle of Jewish, right? So you have the circumcision, or if you don't want to, you don't have to have that either. You have the Jewish wedding, you have the Pesach, you have the Rosh Hashanah, but there's not an understanding that Judaism is not comprised only of these more, uh, let's say, more spectacular or whatever you want to call it, more, more out there kind of, kind of mitzvot. Judaism is comprised of a way of life, a way of life that dominates our entire life, right? 
It's something that is that defines how we live our lives from A to Z, right? Judaism, right, the, the famous line of, of Rabbi Salvechik is unlike other religions in the sense that I have one way of living in the church and I have one way of living outside the church. Judaism is, as Rabbi Salvechik says, is equally as applicable in the boardroom and the bedroom as it is in the synagogue, okay? So it's a very different mindset. But what happened is the Shulchan Aruch that had come into the hands of the people ended up, once again, it wasn't necessarily being used in the proper fashion. If you consider all these various influences, you'll be able to understand how Judaism looked about 80 years ago, as well as all the developments that followed. So what's about 80 years ago? That is, um, no, I guess it's not what I thought he was going to say. I thought he was going to say Hasidus, but actually he's going to talk about Moses Mendelssohn. At that time, when the yoke of oppression began to be lifted and the spirit felt freer to stir, there emerged once again a most brilliant and respected personality whose commanding influence has dominated developments to this day. His personality had not derived his freer spiritual growth from Jewish sources. He was chiefly great in the philosophical disciplines of metaphysics and aesthetics. And he viewed the Bible only philosophically and aesthetically. Thus, he did not develop the study of Judaism on the basis of its own premises, but merely apologetically defended it against political stupidity and pietistic Christian challenges. Personally, a practicing Jew, he showed his brethren and the world that it was possible to be a strictly religious Jew and yet to shine highly respected as a German Plato, right? And I, I'm, not, I'm not a philosopher, nor do I have any expertise in philosophy, but I am told by people who study philosophy that Mendelssohn is actually a, a very highly respected philosopher even today in terms of a certain uh, mindset that developed amongst German philosophers. Now, the and yet part, right, is decisive. Um, his followers contented themselves with eagerly furthering the study of Tanakh along philosophical and aesthetic lines, studying the Morah, but at the same time, adding and expanding the study of humanities. The proper study of Judaism through Tanakh and Talmud was neglected. Even the zealous study of Tanakh could not lead to an understanding of Judaism, for it was studied not as a source of instruction conveying values, but as a poetic composition to feed the imagination. So here's a very critical point. What is the purpose of Tanakh, right? What is the purpose of the Torah, the Nevi'im, and the Ksuvim, the five books of Moshe, the prophets, and the writings? What is the purpose? Is it a history book? Absolutely not. It is not a history book, right? Is it the written law in the sense that we derive law from it? Nope, we don't derive law from it, okay? We derive law from the oral Torah. So what exactly is the purpose of the Torah, and the Nevi'im, and the Ksuvim? So the purpose of the Torah, Nevi'im, and Exuvim, the Torah, the prophets, and the writings is as a means for character development. There are stories there that we are supposed to be developing ourselves from. We're supposed to be figuring out how we're supposed to make ourselves into better people. If you read the Tanakh, if you read the, if you read the, the prophets, you see one story after another replete with sins that people have done, replete with sins that are so modern in their application and are so illustrative in terms of how we, need, we ought to be living our lives. The Torah tells us, the, the Talmud assures us that if the Jewish people would have gone into the land of Israel and they would not have listened to the spies and Moshe would have led them into the land of Israel, the Torah would have been finished with the writing of the book of Joshua. That would have been the final book of the Torah. It wouldn't have been necessary to write any more books because the idea of the Musr, the idea of the, the rebuking that we have in the, in the Tanakh would no longer be necessary. 
So if someone reads Isaiah and says, doesn't focus on the actual message, but focuses on the poetry and make no mistake, it is beautiful, very, very much beautiful poetry, but it is also the word of God. It is also the word of God telling us how to behave. But if yet you only focus on the aesthetic element of it and the beauty of it, well, then, then you, you, it's worth nothing at all. And so what he says is the students of Mendelssohn actually are going to go away from this, and then he's going to continue. Tomorrow, we're going to describe how the students of Mendelssohn very rapidly left Judaism or are practicing Judaism far behind. Okay, so tomorrow night will be our, our last night for a while, actually, right? Because we're going to be off on um, Thursday night is going to be uh, Yom Kippur, and um, uh, maybe Sunday night. We'll see about Sunday night. In other words, Sunday night, which is the day before, day before Sukkot. Hopefully Sunday night we should be able to learn. I do plan on putting up my sukkah that day. Uh, hopefully, <laughs> wish me luck because it's not an easy sukkah to put up. <laughs> I was just thinking about that today that I didn't actually, uh, normally I hire someone, but I didn't find anyone yet. But hopefully I will find someone to help me put it up because it's difficult. But um, yeah, so the plan is that that Sunday, uh, tentatively that Sunday will be our last time before Sukkot. And so tomorrow night might be our last night, but hopefully Sunday, uh, you know, four days from now will be the last. Okay, take care everyone. Be well. Good night.